My name is Thomas Proffitt. I'm a filmmaker based outside Philadelphia, PA, and I'm looking to create a life for myself writing and directing films. On this podcast, I give my take on things as well as interview friends, filmmakers, and interesting folks about just about anything. You can find the full podcast catalog at ProfitableProductions.com backslash podcast. Profitable is spelled like my name with two F's and two T's. You can also find clips from my episodes there as well as my films. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Tom Profit Take. Welcome back to Tom Profit Take. This is Take 15A uh, or Take 15, but there's going to be three parts to this A, B, and C. This is Toolbox. This is Filmmaking Toolbox number one or How I Make Films from Idea to Final Cut. Part one, creativity. Um, I've been developing this episode for about half a year. Um, It's basically my five-hour audiobook on filmmaking broken into three parts. It takes everything I know about my craft, spanning from creativity, writing, and production, and condenses it into the 20% that gets me 80% of the results. I think 20% of it can help many filmmakers, which, which 20% works for you. That's something you'll have to find out for yourself. I'll be putting this knowledge to the test when I direct my first feature film in the next year or so. So if that goes well or not, people will know why, including myself, uh, or so I can reinvent the wheel. Um, yeah, this is basically like my filmmaking, my filmmaking audio book, but, um, it's not, you know, it's not going to be, everything is going to be read verbatim. Um, I'm going to be reading things from my iPad here and and riffing off of stuff. Um, sometimes it's just a bullet point or or so. Um, and other times it's going to be full paragraphs that I'm reading, um, verbatim and, and struggling through. Um, but I'm hoping that, at the core of it, it's going to give you a mountain load of information that I've always wanted to put into either a book form or a podcast or audiobook or something. And I think I really I kind of like this because then I can, you know, I don't have to deal with the pressure of, of a publication, all this stuff. And I can just I, it's it's low pressure. And, you know, eventually maybe all this stuff might be condensed into a, a book form of some some sort. But anyway, um, I'll get into the breakdown of the podcast. But first, um, I I wanted to start this podcast off with a more thought-provoking, engaging beginning, like it's a film or something. But I think I need to start with this. If if you're a filmmaker, you've written, directed, and produced a film before, or make great, or make make films, make make films great. yeah. Uh, if you may, oh, if you make films, great. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's been a while since I wrote this. I, I think you're going to learn or get something out of this podcast that you haven't found elsewhere. If I knew these things three to five years ago, I would probably be years ahead of, uh, of where I am now, but I don't regret the experiences and lessons I've learned. I wouldn't change a thing. Uh, if you're not a filmmaker, maybe you're an actor who wants to act in people's films or a person who wants to be a crew member on people's films or you don't feel like you can do it. I demand, implore, and challenge you to write, direct, and produce five short films as well as you can within your own means and as soon as possible. If you do that, you'll be ahead of 80% of people in the film industry and you'll be 10 times as useful to people like myself who write, direct, and produce my own films. And and I'm starting to pay people to do it. Um, When you're a writer, you know how to think and have ideas because you fill an empty page with your thought process and, and 
come back to it later and reconstruct it to be better. When you've directed and produced your own films within your own means and understand every element, that means you understand, no, that means you understand every element of the process to a certain degree and how it all relates to the way it counts, how it looks and sounds in the final cut and how that affects the audience and yourself. Even if I'm just looking for someone to act or hold a boom pole or move lights around, I want to hire a filmmaker first because they'll put ideas on the table and, and nobody that nobody else does. And it boggles my mind how many people I meet in the film industry who haven't written, directed and produced even one film I, and, and think themselves a filmmaker. And a lot of them are in film school, paying thousands of dollars to be told how to make films. Those aren't filmmakers. And, and having not gone to film school didn't make, make me any more of a filmmaker. Finishing films well is what makes you a filmmaker. And I had years where I wasn't finishing films well. And when filmmaking is your identity, that can be painful to be told you're not a filmmaker. Let that pain become motivation. We, we want to see your films. We demand to see your films. In the words of the great philosopher, no, he's not a great philosopher, Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> Never mind. Just do it. Just, just make your films. Um, also, why I say do five short films, uh, finishing projects well is where you learn the most. Um, and, and seeing how it affects people and yourself is the best teacher. Also, shorter projects can be finished faster, allowing the, the learning increments to be more rapid. And once you do five of anything, you start to stop sucking at it and get the hang of it. So finish five short films as well as you can within your means and as soon as you can. So if you're a filmmaker, I believe you'll get something here or multiple things. And if you're never, if you've never made a film, listen to this podcast, see what works and continue learning from other places. Uh, you have the internet at your disposal, books, films, and the act of doing it yourself. Even Martin Scorsese says, you have to find your own way uh, because no, no one has all the answers. So without further ado, um, we'll get into the analogy. Actually, before we get into the analogy, I wanted to add, um, there's, there's a quote that this is more on why you should do more films than just focus on one. Um, and doing it as soon as possible. Um, there's a quote from Einstein that's one of my favorite quotes from him. It's, life is like riding a bicycle. To keep your balance, you, you must keep moving. And I think it's so true of filmmaking. If you want to get good at filmmaking and, and get better at it, do it. Just make films. Get started making films and don't stop. Um, also, why do... Why is it better to do more smaller projects? Why do you learn most from doing a bunch of small projects versus spending all your time, putting all your eggs in one basket on one film? There's a, a case study I heard or like some experiment, I think a professor or something did. And it, it involved telling a, having half of his class make as many pots as they could. It was like a pottery class or something. And the other half were told to make one pot as well as they could. And what the ha what they found was the class, the half of the class that spent most of their time making as many pots as they could consistently made better quality pots. And I think that's because when you go through the entire process of 
making a film. There's so many different things. There's so many different elements. And you, you know, they're, they're all interconnected. Um, and this is true of many things. There's so many interconnected parts that you don't realize are connected until you do them. You know, I, I found that acting in a film helped me become a better writer. It helped me do a lot of things better. Um, helped me direct better. And so when you have experience writing, directing, and acting in a film, you tend to, and you go through that process, you make a better, you make better films consistently next, um, usually. Uh, you learn things. So I recommend making a lot of films because there's a lot of things, there's a lot of elements that when you learn about them, you, you think about them from the outset, you think with the end in mind, and you approach the film better the next time, more prepared, and you know what you're doing more so. I'm gonna just real quickly switch, get some, it's really cold down here, so I'm starting to shiver, oh crap, <laughs> think about that, we're right back. So hopefully I'm I'm warmer now. <laughs> if I start shivering and my 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 teeth start chattering, you know why. Um, I want to start with an analogy on filmmaking. Filmmaking is very subjective. It's hard to define the true quality of a film, but I think the person who has the best judgment of a film's quality is its creator. As the creator, along the way, you made decisions based on what you thought made the film subjectively better. And by creator, I think. I think I mean uh, the person who had the idea at the inception and then carried it through the writing process and is now directing it. I think that should, in most cases, it's better that that's one person or or if it's two people or more than one person, they were there from the entire process. They understand why the idea came into fruition, but it probably is better that it's just one person. Um, but back to what I was saying. Um, uh, I got to find my place. I'm so sorry. Uh yeah, as, long, as the creator along the way, you made decisions that are based on what you thought made the film subjectively better, including listening to other people's ideas. Um, but you, your gut told you that this direction was better than the other. Let's take this subjective instinct for quality and put it into a linear measurement, a measurement, if you will, a metaphor, if you will. And the metaphor I'd use is filmmaking is like being in a competition with yourself to see how far you can swim in the ocean. The further you swim, the better subjectively your film is. And the way we determine this measurement is ever-changing for each of us. The reason I make this analogy, when you swim in the ocean, there are times when the current is moving with you or against you. But unlike the ocean, in filmmaking, you have some level of control over that current. Um, over that current. Uh, in this podcast episode, I'm going to share with you what I've found over the years helps me control the current for me most. You can control it by means of having a daily routine that makes you the most that makes you the most productive, creative, and disciplined self you can be. Discipline is a muscle you develop, and if you have no discipline, you lit you're literally fighting against your own nature, and you're swimming against the current when you don't have to. If I don't work out, meditate, sleep, and eat right, I am fighting against my nature. Also, the current moves with you or against you based on how you pick your battles. By that, I mean not which fights you choose to pick with people. I mean, what things do you choose to focus on first and in what order or sequence and, and do you and, and, and what order or sequence do you focus on them? Say you want to make a film, you ask yourself, what actors, locations, and blah, 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 do I have at my disposal? 
you what if you start with that then you make a film based on that is that exciting uh, i mean maybe um you the, i mean depends um you could do that um but in my opinion you'll still be swimming against the current the current of making something as good as possible it's important not to come up with ideas that you can't execute and we'll talk about that but if you have an idea that is so good that you and others love you'll be surprised what you can do to make that film come to life instead of writing based on what you know is at your disposal um, and just that i would start with a bold idea that's you know easy to produce and we'll, like i said we'll talk about that and I'll give you an example of of what kind of bold ideas I try to come up with that I, I'm currently focused on creating. Ask yourself, what character story or dramatic plot would be most interesting? What what if we had this character who had this relatable thing they need they needed to get, but they're fighting against this formidable opposition to get it, and that opposition is relatable too? And what if they can reach what if they reach rock bottom and grow as a result or succeed and then go down and moral character or, or succeed as real and then go and down to moral character what if i had 10 of these characters who had these qualities each and somehow their stories are seamlessly interwoven connected by theme and equally interesting in and of themselves but together are a masterpiece some become opposition to each other or help each other in, in getting their own wants it's a grand idea like this or better than this that i'd start with personally now um and that could always change. Um, from from this, I'd pitch the idea to people, create an outline, get feedback on the outline, work hard on converting that outline to a script and get feedback along the way. Then work towards uh, developing the vision, then rehearsing with actors, planning the production and shots. This is a quick summary, but generally working on things in that order like that or like that order down the line to the finished film. Would you rather see that film or the film that I could make with the actors and locations at my disposal, or at least what was readily apparent or, or obvious to me? Um, because there's a lot of things that you realize you don't realize are, are you know, you're able to get acquire for a film to, to make a film. And the thing that you need is the idea that and, and the driving force to find that thing and look for it. Um, but uh, all of this leads me to my favorite philosophy. This comes from, um, oh, wait, let me just make sure I didn't ch skip anything. Uh, would you rather? Yeah. Um, so all, all this leads me to my favorite, favorite philosophy. This comes from the retired Navy SEAL commander, Jocko Willink. Um, that is extreme ownership and, and basically that the buck stops at you. All right. Nobody, nobody. And the way I relate this to film is nobody cares if you had a hundred dollars in one day to make a film or $100 million in 10 years to make a film. They care about the final product. So, and, and money can help and it can hurt films. But if you don't have money, time and discipline will get you there. In my opinion, the main reason money helps make films is it affords you time and resources needed to make it. The other philosophy I like is that is, is more of a Tim Ferriss style meta learning thing. Picking your battles or what you focus on and what sequence you focus on it is what makes films the best they can be. It starts with your philosophies and your daily routine, your creative flesh writing routines. 
then what rules or obligations you focus on for the idea you're trying to come up with and what rules, structures and processes you choose to focus on to use or to on to use to, to flesh out that story, then then how you write it and all, all the way down to the final edit and marketing. You have to start thinking about those things, excuse me, what those things are. You have to start thinking about the end result as soon as possible. Take extreme ownership of these things. Um, and I can't overemphasize, you need to prioritize what's important and focus on the most important things first throughout the process of writing and making films and, and also what what you work on throughout the day, days of your life um, or in your writing or, or deep work sessions. Identify early on your priorities and then ex execute in the right order. Uh, if you feel like you're lost or nothing's getting done, it might just be because you're focused on a step that should be done much further down the line, i.e. the process of, of crafting or developing your vision. And when you should be focused on first on on the right idea for the story, then the and then writing that story. And what I mean by that is, you know, sometimes if you if you start developing a film by saying, "Oh, this would be really cool lighting," or "Oh, this would this would be you know a cool shot," or "This would be a cool like performance," um, or or "This would be a cool you know track to use." And I, I kind of, I'm, I'm beginning to think that a lot of those things are not the best way to start. I think the best way to start is this, the way that will get you the furthest in the ocean, uh, to draw back to that analogy. And that's start with the the dramatic idea. What is the most, and 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 I'll get into this in a bit in this later in the podcast where I talk about a good system for coming up with that. Um, but that that's the hardest thing to come up with. And you should always focus on the hardest thing. And I'll tell you why you should focus on the hardest thing later in the podcast as well. Um, like I said, <laughs> this whole podcast, the reason I say it's an audiobook is there are so many interconnected parts in, in what I'm talking about. And you'll start to see that as I go on. Um, so let me check if I missed anything. Um, yeah, the process of crafting your vision. Yeah, okay. So I, I did all that. Let me read. Let me just drink some coffee real quick. Hold on. Yeah, I'm not going to cut out these coffee breaks. Hold on. Yeah, I'm just going to leave them in. Sorry, guys. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen. So um, let's continue. This isn't a master class. I'm not a master. And if anyone tells you they're a master and you have to do something exactly as they say, take what they say with a grain of salt, even if they have decades of experience. The best teacher is the one who says, I'm a student just like you. I'm in it trying to figure it out myself, too. Maybe I don't know the answer. Even if they have decades of experience, that person where they currently are are more open to learning new things and they're looking to see what they can learn from even you even if you're a beginner uh there's truth that a, there's a truth that a beginner can find creative ways of going about something that some masters in in that, in that field completely miss much like a child's creativity the cinematographer of citizen citizen kane before he was the cinematography he went to orson welles and said i want to work with you and orson welles said why would you want to work with me? You're, you've done all these great films, this great work, and I've never directed a film before. And he said, exactly. You've never directed a film before, so you don't know what can't be done. So if there's 
that that's 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 uh, you can't you don't know what can't be done um that's that's uh i think about that quite a bit <laughs> obviously um so so if there's anything you like about my work and the results i get and there's something i say that you feel will allow you to get a similar result if you try that thing try it have at it and if there's something or there's a lot of things you don't feel works for you then don't sweat it um I, I hope that you're able to find at least one thing here that helps you improve. Or if there's more than that, great. So without further ado, let's, let's get into the breakdown. I keep saying without further ado. It's not even written on here. I just added that. Um, so now the breakdown of the podcast is it goes as such. Um, part one or, you know, take 15A is going to be on creativity. Uh, then part two is on writing and then part three is on production. And I consider uh, that's, that's pre production, production and post production. Why do I not consider, why, why am I not including writing into pre-production? Why don't I just do this podcast on pre production and post production? Well, I think creativity is everything I want to talk about. There's so much I have to talk about with creativity and, and then, and that is important for writing. And, and honestly, creativity is if you can if you can nail creativity that's the 20 percent that gets you 80 percent of the results with filmmaking i think um and writing too um and then there's a bit on writing but a lot of this is like i said interconnected and and part one on creativity you know we're going to go into things about you know the keys to creativity a creative routine what is what is what is a what is a creative routine what does it look like what works for me? What could work for you? How do you figure something out? Um, what is deep work? Um, and that's a, I'll, I'll, I'll get into that. Um, but it's basically, uh, to summarize, it's basically a period of time where you just, you know, you have zero distractions. You're focused completely on what you're doing and you allow yourself to get into a very deep state of creativity. And there's ways of doing it where you can get into that immediately. And, and then you only have to spend an hour versus three hours and, and, get most of your results and also be able to do multiple one hour sessions in a day um, and get, you know, several times the amount of results that most writers probably do. Um, you There's also, uh, I want to talk about writing films you can produce is, is a key component. I guess, I guess we'll put that under the blanket of creativity, but that's just, I think it involves, I, I think that's important for creativity because it's a important limitation that you have to keep in mind when you're coming up with ideas for films. Uh, get feedback early and often. That's important for making sure you're on the right track. I've been on the wrong track way too long, way longer, way way more than I'd like to admit. It happens a lot, it is, even today. Like I, I get on the wrong track a lot, and you know you have to find ways to mitigate that. And I'm going to talk about ways that you can use to mitigate, you know, going down a rabbit hole and or tunnel. And then finding out that what you created sucks. I hate that. And I'm sick of it. I don't like I've gotten to the point where I'm done with that. And so I don't care if people offend me with their uh, their feedback. They're not going to offend me. If somebody tells me this is what's wrong with what I'm doing, I'm going to listen because I don't want I'd rather deal with the pain of of that than or the discomfort of that than deal with the pain of spending months or years on something and not having it pan out the way I wanted it to. 
Um, and also starting with finishing lots of projects well. Uh, we talked a little bit about that. We'll talk more about that. And also what makes for a great film or script, in my opinion. And and that's my opinion. It's I'm one person. As, as somebody told me once, I'm one person. You have to talk about this with, uh, you know, fig- figure out what other people think, too, and what you think. Um, watch a lot of films. Watch a lot of great films. And you'll get your own opinion. So you don't really just need mine. You know, you don't need mine. Um, but if I, you know, if you want to listen to mine, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> um, so, and then, yeah, we'll talk about writing and then, and then in part two or part B and then, um, and then, and then production. And, uh, also I, I mentioned why am I not considering creativity and writing as part of production as, or pre-production? Why don't I just do this production, production, post-production? Well, I don't have a whole lot to talk about with the production element, but I'm going to, so, so all of that is just going to be condensed into a one part. And, uh, and I think if you don't, if you don't have a good solid script that's working, you're not ready for pre-production. I don't consider, I don't honestly, I kind of realized today when I'm, I'm preparing to do this podcast, I don't, um, I don't know if, 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 like, I think pre-production, like writing shouldn't even be considered part of production. You should have a good script before you even go into pre-production. I think that the reason I like that philosophy is, or maybe I'll change my mind, but you know, it's, it's just, it's just a way to get people, some people up in arms, but it's like, it's, it's, that's why a lot of shitty films get made is because they don't figure out the script, figure out the script before you get started. I mean, you can still make, you can still make bad films with a good script, but you know, you're not going to, you're less likely to make a good film with a bad script fix the script now then again um gladiator was made by uh, they they just they just started writing it and you know <laughs> like writing it as they were making the film um but honestly i don't think it's the best call i don't think it's a smart move you know you you're gonna have to need a you're gonna spend a lot more money doing that money that you probably you know us independent filmmakers if you're like me don't have to spend just write a good script and then and then be surgical about the way you go about it i think that's the better route um that's the way i try to do it who knows maybe i'll change my mind and i'll be like uh, i'll have a i'll have a shit ton of money to spend on films one day (laughs) hopefully i don't know knock on wood um but you know what like maybe i'll have a bunch of money to spend on movies one day and then i'll just be like "Ah, i'm just gonna blow a bunch of money while i'm you know you know figuring out what i want to do uh have all these people on payroll i don't think it's a smart move but you know hey i mean if you can do it if you want to do it if your investors are okay okay with that you know fine um but I, I I wouldn't I'm not okay with it. Um. Uh. But uh. Yeah. Like. Oh. But actually, that's how they did. Uh. Um. Saving Private Ryan's opening scenes. They just Spielberg was like, all right. I I don't know. All I know is they're gonna start here, and then they're gonna get on that hill. Uh. They're gonna get over that, and then they figured it out through a lot of money. Uh. And 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 going weeks over schedule. But it ended up becoming a. a incredible sequence of of in cinema and so there are times maybe where you want to do that but i've been on a lot of sets where they're just it's just it's not the mark of genius it's the mark of unprofessionalism and 
and you know shit it's a shit show and it doesn't really pan out but if you think it's going to pan out it's up to you um so we'll get into part one the keys um coffee break hold on are we still recording yeah i think we're still recording okay all right <laughs> yeah that would suck if we stopped recording uh whatever I've, I've already recorded i've actually already recorded this once this might be five hours or less or more i have no idea um but yeah like i recorded this once already and i rec i went through the entire thing i thought it'd be two hours it was five hours and i was like what the fuck and um i yeah i i well, the reason I had to re-record it was I I did it on Thanksgiving Day, and I thought I had enough time to record the entire thing before Thanksgiving dinner. Recorded it half, recorded a bunch of it, burned out at two hours and something minutes, and then so, so, so many minutes, and then and then I went and ate Thanksgiving dinner, and then afterwards I sounded like I was just I just ate a crap ton of food because I did, and then I just sounded disgusting and i was like there's no way like i'm this is uh too important of a podcast for me to sound congested and and just be slow of mind and then i tried to re-record the section I, I i was you know ate a bunch and then i didn't remember what i mentioned already on the podcast because i had brought up things that weren't written here and so i i just realized you know i don't want to re-listen to the thing and then just go you know re-record yeah i just want to re just reset from scratch make the entire thing in a day um so that's what i'm doing here all right so um the keys um i want to introduce the 80 20 principle the 80 20 principle is is or pre, i think it's prato's prato's law something like that i'm probably butchering it sorry uh it's basically identify the 20 percent of anything that gets 80 percent of, of the results that's what I hope with this podcast is that I am providing you this episode or, the, or these filmmaking toolbox episodes, which I plan to do more of. And they're, they're going to be very information dense, not just information dense. They're going to be mission critical information where they get you the most leverage. You know, think, th excuse me, think in terms of leverage. What, what gets the most leverage of anything you're doing? And and you know that's the twenty percent that gets you eighty percent of the results. And you know, think about what what what's the twenty percent of the customers that gets your business eighty percent of the revenue, or or what twenty percent of what you do in life gets you eighty percent of the happiness, or or in filmmaking, what what is the twenty percent that you of ideas or things that you need to do to make a great film? Maybe you can just cut out eighty percent of what you do. And it's constant. You can do this assessment and then figure out what those things are, cut it all out, and do it again. And you can just keep repeating it each time, and just, just, and that's that's the that's the 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 course to a life of minimalism, and and effectiveness. And so, yeah, that that's why I bring that up. And it's something. It's very Tim Ferrissy. It's very. Uh, there's a book called The Effective. Or the, was it The Effective Executive by Peter F. Drucker? Um, and it's and uh, even and, and in that like there's a, a you know a principle that he has where he doesn't allow a meeting to go over 90 minutes because he finds that people start repeating themselves and and um, you know uh, and 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 
often you don't need to like like i think in the four hour work week like you don't need to um you, you, a lot of times meetings are unnecessary when you know you just need to tell people the important information in an email you could just tell people the important points that they need in an email honestly like a lot of what i'm going to be talking about it took me six months to put this together or so or more than that i think um and I, I thought that this would just be a two-hour podcast. It's going to be much longer than that. But this is, you know, this is all information that is just, like, I've condensed it in writing um, and bullet points. And so it's going to be very densely packed together. Uh, or it's going to be very dense or information dense, I guess, or, or useful information dense, I'm hoping. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll move on. Um <laughs> Uh, so then, so, so now let's get into creative routine. Something creative routine is something that consistently gets you to be the most productive, creative or creative, productive self. Maybe it's, it's meditation and workout. Um, no, wait, did I, I think I, I ended with, with what, what I need to talk about with the 80, 20 principle. Yeah. Uh, yes. And, and basically the creative routine is, is like, you know, you're, you need to find the the 20% that gets you 80% of the results creatively. And so that's what a creative routine is, is identifying what do you do every day? What is the 20% that you focus on doing each day? Or what, what things do you not focus on doing? That's important too, to get you the most results in your creativity, your writing, or your filmmaking, or anything, or anything in life. And and so so that's why that, that principle is important. But now, yeah, creative routine, something that consistently, consistently gets you the most, to be the most creative creative productive self you can be maybe it's meditation or workout um my my creative routine um i it starts with a a morning routine i i have a morning routine where i i meditate and i work out um now what is a morning routine i've heard it defined as it's identifying three to five things that you do consistently every morning when you after you wake up in the first 90 minutes if you get three these three to five you have to figure out what they are but if you get these three to five things done every morning before 90 minutes after you woke up you'll be much more productive the rest of the day figure out what they are and there's there's i recommend um there's a book the tools of titans by tim ferris the reason i mentioned his name a bunch uh, a lot of what i do a lot of my routine now is built from books like that from from hearing from all these different because he interviews a lot of different um successful people and asks them all what's their morning routine and so if you want to pick and choose things to do in your morning routine i recommend like going to like tim ferris's podcast or things like that like like look into things from high performers people who 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 have built a lifestyle based on you know trying to be the most effective self they can be um and because and, you know like in a lot of cases there's there are people who they you know the how sharp they are every day can make the difference between you know thousands or millions of dollars you know there's there's people that if they aren't sharp or if they're not a little sharp if they're not like completely sharp you know they're going to make decisions that 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 you know cost them a lot of money like uh and and i think um a weird example uh is is uh or not a weird example but um 
like Mark Zuckerberg, in the morning, he doesn't pick an outfit. He has the same gray shirts and gray whatever. Now, that's not where I wear mine. I'm just I'm just lazy. But I also, you know, like he doesn't he, he doesn't waste his time on that because that's time that could be spent at Facebook or whatever it is now. Um, and, you know, and it, it literally costs thousands or some cases millions of dollars if he spends his morning picking out an outfit. And now the reason I choose not I actually have like the same outfits every time every day. Like I I do that because I like to spend as little creativity in the morning as possible until I've finished my meditation. So yeah, I'll get I'll get into that. Um my creative routine, I I have a I have a morning routine and then later in the day I have a second meditation. But like my first meditation is in my morning routine. Um basically my it's it, it's broken it's 30 minutes and it's broken into three things um the first it's it's three or, or three intervals i think you, i think you could say the first it basically the first 10 minutes of that 30 minute meditation i do transcendental transcendental meditation i use a mantra i repeat the same two syllable word over and over again that's basically what transcendental meditation is um and it's a that's kind of a controversial opinion that basically you don't need you don't need to go to some place and be and pay a bunch of money to be told oh this is your magical word that's or your magical mantra it's it's usually some dumb like weird word that's not even a real word that just i don't know it's it's a quote unquote mantra thing that's bullshit um just all you need is a two syllable word to repeat over and over again in that transcendental meditation and what what will happen is your focus then becomes on something disciplined you know you're not you're sitting there doing seemingly nothing but you're focused on a task and it creates discipline you know it create or it creates discipline while it helps you achieve a a more lucid state of mind and a more creative state of mind and a happier state of mind. Um, that's a, that's a summary of putting, uh, that's a, that's a way you could, that's a summary of it. Um, that's the first 10 minutes. Uh, basically, you know, you're sitting still not moving a muscle. Um, I'll sit up in my first meditation. I'll actually lay down for my second meditation. I'll get into that in a bit. First meditation, you're sitting down, you know, you're, you're repeating a mantra in your head over and over again. Uh, or you could focus on breath, but I prefer, I prefer the transcendental meditation with like a mantra. Um, the second 10 minutes, I allow myself to free think, meaning I just, there's no structure. I'm allowed to think about whatever I want. I, if, I, if I'm going through some issues, like I'm dealing with something, or if I'm even trying to think of what to say to somebody, or, or, or I'm trying to think of um, what, uh, like a film idea or something, or if I'm trying to work on a problem in the story I'm working on, that's, that's most of the time. Um, or I'm developing a story, I'll think about it. Um, and often that's a really creative time. Um, and if I do that, free think, I'm also much more creative later in the day. Um, and then the last 10 minutes of that 30 minute meditation is a, is transcendental meditation again. And I, I like to, to sandwich it between those things. I have the free think in the middle so that I'm more creative in the, the, the day and I'm able to kind of think more freely. Um, but I have the transcendental meditation to give me the discipline that gets me through through more challenges and more things that I need to do and have the discipline of mind. Um, <clears throat> when I started meditating, I started off uh, meditating 
just free think, just thinking about whatever I wanted. And it was unstructured. And what happened was I became very undisciplined in life. It was, it, it's meditation. The way you spend your meditation magnifies into the rest of your life for the next day or few days until you stop meditating. Um, sorry, my, my throat. But, um, and so it wasn't until I, I started using transcendental meditation, I figured out how to have discipline. Now I tried just doing transcendental meditation, but I found, uh, well, David Lynch swears by it. So, and you know, he's David Lynch. So, Hey, if it works for you, but for personally, I find if I just do transcendental meditation, I'm, I'm not able to think, I'm not able to break out of the box. Like I, I box myself in for some reason. I, that's the way I could put it. Um, now yeah, so I, I, I sandwich it between 10 minutes, roughly 10 minutes or less or whatever of the mantra, then 10 minutes of free thing, then 10 minutes of, of mantra. And and you figure out what works for you. Um, but those are things I, I, I enjoy working with. Um, and I think I explained what mantra is. Um, also, when your mind wanders from the mantra, you're repeating the same word over and over again. You pick a two-syllable word. Don't tell anybody what it is. It, it, whatever is most meaningful to you and if it's meaningful to you that's all that matters um and you don't want to tell anybody because you don't want somebody to be you know you, you don't want their opinion to be in your head when you're using it fuck it if it's good if it works for you that's what matters so um pick that word repeat it over and over again and if your mind wanders from that bring it back and every time you bring it back that's a repetition that's like lifting a weight Okay, because every time you, you your mind wanders and you bring it back later in the day, when you are getting distracted, your mind you'll you'll real you'll catch yourself and you're like, oh wait, I got to do this thing, and you'll come back to it. Like if like for me, I have ADHD out the wazoo, and so this how ha has transformed my life in huge ways. Okay, and it and it's also allowed me meditation has also allowed me to to deconstruct what I do in in a lot of ways and then rebuild it to be better um and to to just think about things to question everything I do and how I do it and and say it doesn't have to be that way this this is something I can improve on I can do this better if I just do it this way and and there are things that most people don't change about their life so that's why I recommend meditations it helps you question things that most people don't question and it's a trap it's a tragedy really um uh those are considered reps mantra strength and discipline blah 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 blah, blah. Uh, uh so and i also meditate after waking up i'll do like a cold shower in the morning a bunch of stuff um read a page of a book um and then i'll go meditate but i try to not be interrupted before I meditate um, because that that can, you know, if I'm not going into that meditation with just the clarity of mind from just waking up, I'm not going to get the most out of my day. Um, that's just what it is. Uh, I've really, if I could find a way to not have it be like that, you know, I would because it'd make life much easier, but it's much easier to do it that way where you, when you wake up in the morning, you go right into it and you and then once you meditate then you can commun interact with people you can you know check things i usually don't check messages until after my workout which comes next 
Um, let's uh, also uh, when I when it comes to free thinking, the ten minutes of free thinking, uh, I allow my mind to wander. This increases awareness of your goals, your problems, and makes you more creative. Um, just reading what what it has on here. Uh, so workout. Um, keep it routine and consistent and intense. Uh, or this is what I do. I spend. I, I like to spend less creativity in it. Um, I pre-planned workouts. Save that for. Save the plan. Save the creativity of the workout for art. All right. That's personally my 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 philosophy of it. Uh, I find running is great for ideas because it's very consistent. You're just basically doing the same thing over and over. Like you're just running. You're just running. And it allows you to have a lot of ideas. You get an adrenaline rush. You get a, a runner's high. Um, I also like to work out in intervals, um, like three-minute high-intensity, one-minute break, or low-intensity. Um, I just found that that worked for me years ago from doing, like, like it just, it just seems to work for me. Um, let's see. Uh I think it was from medit from from doing insanity. I years ago I did that insanity sixty day freaking thing. Um, from what is it? It was like the it was like from the the P ninety X people. Um, back in high school I did that, and I I found that I was very happy at that time in my life, and and a lot of what I do now is just what what is what are the things that have all contributed to me being the best I can be or the most happiest I am in life in any capacity um or in any category of of a way um or yeah and just really uh this is really just my next take tape of uh lifestyle choice <laughs> it leads to me being uh, uh as creative and productive as i can be okay uh so second meditate oh wait so workout yeah three minutes high intensity blah, blah. all right second meditate yeah so and pick you know figure out what works for you with workout okay i like to do it in the morning um after my me first meditation now second meditation after workout after several power naps um and i'll talk about power naps in a bit 40 minutes total for my second meditation and that is totally free thought no i don't i actually have learned the hard way save any writing or creative tasks for after the first meditation or that for after the second meditation i mean um this second meditation is how i started successfully writing and it's also how i started meditating was just laying down for 40 minutes and having free thought now when, before any meditate meditation i'll drink some coffee do some things that i know have me, you know, fully awake, uh, breathing exercises, certain things to kind of make sure I'm, I don't, I don't fall asleep. I have timer, like a backup. I have a, the, the meditation chime app or, or app for meditation chime. You just need, you need, you need a starting chime after you have 30 seconds to get, to, you know, get into it. And then it, the first chime goes, you don't move a muscle. And then the last chime, that's all that's important really. Um, for me, I don't really have any interval chimes that like say this has been 10 minutes. I have it right in front of me wherever it is or, you know, I, I, I make sure I can see it. Um, but uh, yeah, no writing until after my second meditation, because I find that for whatever reason, when I spend 40 minutes of just thinking about whatever, I'm the most creative I could possibly be. And I do my best work. So um, and honestly, if I start doing bad work, it might just be because I'm not doing it after that. Um, also it's, it's 
kind of occurred to me recently that lately I've been shooting a lot of projects after that and they're not as good where they seem like like also I'm less uh disciplined when I do my shoots after my second meditation because it's 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 like not it's not it's not transcendental meditation so I'm I'm just focused on free thought and and that's not where you want to be in a, in a on a shoot. <laughs> so I I don't know. Like it's 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 odd. It's I I and I don't know this for sure, but I might start doing my going back to doing my shoots before the second meditation, but yeah. Um anyway, uh yeah, so also I don't I do the podcast after the second meditation because I'm just able to f freely go through ideas, go all over the place, be ADHD as fuck. Um but yeah. But generally, they're better. Um, I'm always ADHD. What are we talking about? Um, so this is how I first learned to meditate. And it opened up all the doors to my creative potential, but lacked the discipline that my initial meditation now gives me. Um, this uh, Also, the second meditation I do after a power nap. The first meditation is after waking up. Second meditation is after a power nap. And the power naps are, for me... Uh, 20 minutes and 37 seconds. I set a timer for that exactly. Why? Why 37 seconds? To to get comfortable before it starts. It can be 21 minutes. Um, I just found for whatever reason, 37 seconds was exactly what I needed to feel the best waking up from that power nap. Because once that 37 seconds is up, you know, I'm, I'm you know, or before that, you know, I like to get comfy and be like, I like 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 in napping mode, you know, I'm just laying down. I'm not moving anything like, like any muscles. I'm just or I'm not moving around. Um, I got my head down. Once the head's down, the nap started. If it comes up, naps over. <laughs> I don't that's just something I've learned. Um also, uh, except for the first nap of the day, I'll I'll or like the first nap I take, I'll do a few sips of coffee before the nap. For whatever reason, I like to have a, a nap at least one nap in the beginning of the day that has no coffee just so because for whatever reason it just makes me fucking feel miserable i don't know why <laughs> and like this this is really specific shit like this isn't gonna work for everyone but i just find that this shit works for me and uh yeah i mean it's, it's useful to put this all into a podcast so that i can come back to it um let's see uh Unless it's my first nap of the day, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I said that. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm reading over this, making sure I got everything. Also, um, I, I don't eat until the end of the day or the, until, until I'm finished my work. Um, I, will, I will go until I'm done working on stuff because I find that that gives me the most clarity of mind. But I, I will have like protein that doesn't have much sugar in it or like I'll have something like a protein drink or I'll have uh, like a, I'll drink coffee and protein pretty much. And it's probably the most unhealthy fucking habit or routine or eating, you know, plan. But, you know, I honestly don't care. Like if it gets the results, I'm going to do it. Um, I don't, th I, I mean, I, I don't think it's going to kill me that, that soon, <laughs> but you know what? I, I, I honestly don't think it'd kill me because I, I don't feel that I, I feel fine doing it. Um, if I didn't feel fine, I wouldn't do it. Um, uh, but anyway, yeah, I, I, after I start eating though, I, I probably don't drink coffee before my naps just because I, I don't know, 
for some reason it changes things. Uh, but anyway, um, when I'm taking naps, the reason I take a bunch of naps is I've started writing comedy sketches during those naps. I'll write sketches during those naps and, 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 or come up with or work through story ideas or problems or something that the naps are the naps mainly, I think are the most are the time where I'm the most creative. Power naps are a fucking weapon of creativity. If you do it right. And if you do it a bunch, if you get a lot of experience with it and you drink a little bit of coffee beforehand, you're you're alert you're 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 thinking through problems you're able to do things um that that plus if you've meditated right throughout through earlier in the day um but yeah me, me, naps are just such a powerful resource and so i highly recommend them like i've heard people tell me that they can't nap and i'm like you're missing out man like there's so many there's so much potential that comes from them and like if i'm working on a problem in a, a script and i can't figure out the problem I just nap, dude. You just, you nap, you can figure out the problem. There's like even Einstein, like I heard, you know, I've, I've mentioned him already twice because I read his biography years ago. Um, and then I went on to go through a period where I read 50 books in a year. Um, and I just, I don't know, I was going through a weird phase. Uh, but I, I read his, his biography and actually shit, was it him? No, he, he used to take naps and, was it him or somebody who had a ball bearing in their hand? They didn't have, they didn't really have timers, or they didn't know a whole lot about power naps and how they work best. But he'd have a ball bearing in his hand, and once he fell asleep, it would fall out of his hand and break on the something on the ground and wake him up. I forget if that was. It might not have been. It might have been. Was that? The fucking guy who invented the light bulb, I forget. But uh, yeah, it, or he, I know Einstein though took naps. I forget what the the damn um, thing I was going to say about that. But yeah, he he. A lot of creative people have kind of figured out that a lot of inspiration ideas come from from a, a you know a deep state of creativity that comes from 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 being near near falling asleep. You know. Uh, I find if you go to sleep, you don't really have ideas, but if you're, you know, you're doing a power nap, you're kind of easing into that for the first 20 minutes or so. That's, that's where you have your ideas, especially if you drink a little coffee first, just so that you're alert. Um, and, and coffee for me, I couldn't go without coffee, honestly. Like I, I just, I need it to, to, to trigger ideas. Um, but anyway, what you eat, I will actually, like I mentioned, I'll actually wait to the end of the day if it's a writing day, uh, except for protein and coffee. If it's a shoot day, I disregard that rule because I need the fuel. Uh, I need to eat. I need fucking food in my body if it's a shoot day because shoot days are fucking miserable. Um, I wish I could eat on a podcast day. Um, well, when it comes to eating on a shoot day, I... Who knows? I might change that back again because you know, if if I feel like it's like I'm, you know, it's affecting me in negative ways. But I generally, right now, yeah, eat, eat just eat fucking food. All right, but yeah, um, sleep. My general rule: figure out is figure out what works for you. But 
generally, personally, I, I find the more sleep I can get, the better I, my ideas and better, more effective, more, more strength of mind I have, the more discipline, um, the more I am, more effective, better discipline I am at anything, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I mean, just uh, you got to figure out what you do. But to be honest, though, I heard that, which was interesting, what I heard was interesting was that Elon Musk, I mean, who, who's a fucking savage, like a really creative person, or like you know, or a really productive person, like just, you know, he sleeps six hours a day. So, I mean, it depends who you are. Um, but, and he doesn't go less than five. Like he doesn't go, he doesn't go less than six because then it eats into your ability to work. And so you got to figure out what works for you. Uh, writing to-do lists the night before bed, then after morning routine. Um, but, uh, night before bed. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, Sorry, I wrote this. I didn't really rewrite it. Um, so writing to-do lists. Uh, I, just, I wrote this in like a few days ago. Um, basically, at the before I go to sleep, I'll write a, 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 a list of things that I think I need to do the next day. For whatever reason, I have a lot of clarity right before I'm going to bed. Um, and when I do that, the next morning, that's all I'm thinking about is shit i got this thing to do i got this thing to do also i have this morning and nighttime journaling one in the morning i i, I was i think uh and this is just a caveat um but this has helped me a lot and i do this still um i will do uh in the morning it's three things i'm grateful for uh, i think uh actually let me pull it up i don't want to screw this up hold on blah, blah, blah. we're finding it um yeah three things i'm grateful for what would make today great? Three things that would make today great. And then daily affirmations. I am blank, blank, blank. You know, I am blank. You know, you just you just come up with a number of things. And then at the end of the day, before I go to bed, I write three th amazing things that happened today. And then I also list a bunch of things. How could I have made today even better? And when you do this, it allows you to shut off your brain at the end of the night. Or, or it gives you something to think about in the morning. It gets you, sets you in a happy mood, but it also gives you things to, to it helps you shut your brain off at night doing that so that you can get to bed uh, and not be tossing and turning about the things you did today. You can just say, okay, this is what I could have done better. Leave it at that. Uh, also, I listen to, before I go to bed, I listen to, um, for I have a, on a 30 minute timer, it shuts off after 30 minutes, but I have uh, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. It's one of my favorite books. Then that and the Tao Te Ching. I, I listen to the Tao Te Ching on audiobook my entire morning routine, or except for meditation, but between meditation, like I, I'll listen to that before and after, and then and then before I work out. Um, I usually don't listen to anything if I'm meditating or working out. Um, because I don't want I don't want that to influence me. Um, I don't want to go through a workout um and cheat as i've heard david goggins put it if you are working out the only thing you should be listening to is is your soul you should be like and and i'm telling you i used to listen to you like heavy hard like just hardcore what was it heavy metal music a lot during workouts and when i heard that from david goggins i stopped listening to music and immediately I found I was better able to 
confront pain the rest of the day because I was willing to confront ultimate pain during my workouts. And my workout was actually pretty easy without music. Um, it was easier for some reason. It felt, or I mean, it just, it felt more interesting because I was alone with my own thoughts during a really tough time. And I do that every day now. And I don't work out with music anymore because it's like, you're just, you're, you're, the only thing you're listening to is your own thoughts. And, 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 and just like meditation and just like a lot of things, workout magnifies into the, the way you work out and the way you meditate magnifies into the rest of your day. And when you work out without music, you know, you confront pain the rest of the day, the way you did with your workout. And that's why workout's important. It's important to move your body. It's important to kind of get the endorphins going. It's important to, you know, just push yourself and, and endure pain and, and do it in a controlled way that helps you grow. Um, but uh, writing to-do lists before I go to bed. And then after the morning routine, after I, I work my, my workout, I will reread what I wrote the night before my to-do list. And then I'll write the plan for today. And then and then and then I'll reread that plan and, and that list just make sure I didn't skip anything. And then put it into bullet points underneath as a summary. Like a summary like this is what I'm doing, blah, 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 blah. All these bullet points. <coughs> that summary is what I go on for the rest of the day. And it's in my head at that point. Once I do that, sometimes I, I often don't need to look at it, but it's good to have it so you can if you, you need to go to it. But once you've, you know, you've done it the night before, then the morning after you thought about it throughout your morning routine when you're meditating, working out, and then you, you write it, you just brain vomit all that that you wrote the night before, or you reread what you write or wrote the night before to do list wise. And then you brain vomit that plus anything else you thought about during your morning routine. Then you reread that and or reread the thing before and then reread that and then summarize it and you just make sure you, you know, then you reread the summary. You, you, it's all in your head. Like, you know what you're doing. You can have um, 20 things on your to-do list that day and, and be able to retain it all. And so, you know, if you're, if you're trying, if you're, you're trying to be ambitious about objectives, if you're making a film and you got a lot of things on your plate, you got to do, if you're trying to do a lot of different things, that's a good way of doing it. Uh, that's what's something I recommend doing. Um, so let's get into deep work. Um, and, and, and here's one of the things, even David Lynch has said this, you need to find a setup in life. You need to figure out a, a way to create a lifestyle that's devoted to art. Everything I'm talking about is that. Um, so, and if anybody tells you otherwise that that's ridiculous or that, you know, what you're, you know, you know, <clears throat> having, you know, need, that you, that you said somebody telling you that you don't need a, a, like a lifestyle devoted to art to create good art. They're fucking liars. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about. They're, they're, they don't, they're, they're misinformed. They don't have anything to go on unless you look at their work and, or what they do and they prove what work they pr produce and you think that they're right. But most of the time you look at what somebody does, they don't have anything to back it up. Um, and, and, but David Lynch does, and that's what he had to say about it. That you, you know, he, <clears throat> he once spent years of his life or like four years of his life 
before he started making or back when he started making films living for pennies on the dollar at a um what is it it was this like old it, it was like some building like mansion that he was he just managed to find that wasn't being used by <coughs> shit some foundation like some art foundation or something and he was just able to live there years of his life for four years of his life painting and then making films or, or and eventually making films and that is what he that it's that kind of <coughs> shit sorry i keep my mouth is so dry it's that setup that quote-unquote setup life's a living setup a setup of living that enabled him to do the work because this art art is is not a hobby it's a fucking grueling task to create art and you have to have that setup you have to figure out what works for you so deep work a sacred time of getting the real work done without interruption possibly set a timer first also try starting sessions with an open-ended question like what now uh, then write your goals slash intentions for the session then you come back later if you get lost uh, that's, yeah, that's basically what I do when I start my writing sessions, I'll set a timer for an hour later to go off an hour later. And that way I can kind of just go into it and get lost in that, write that one hour of writing, not have to think about what time it is. And I don't go over an hour. Like if I go over an hour for whatever reason, it's just, I just can't like, I, 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 I can't like, like I, I just, it starts to get really uh grueling and and honestly the the quality of the ideas goes down dramatically or i'm just i think i'm it's partly because i'm i've created a habit of doing it in an hour doing my work within an hour and then just you know getting the most in that, that hour as possible and so that if i go over it you know like my body is used to doing an hour of writing so it knows how to cons you know use that energy as much as possible and then you know and then but if i go over that i've lied to it's like i've lied to my body and it's like wait what the fuck dude you said you're only doing an hour i only have I'm, I'm using i'm burning up energy at the rate of an hour of, of all of it per hour which is fine and we'll have enough energy to, to continue later but now you're going over that and you lied to me and now I'm not going to have the energy to continue doing this again later. And so that that that's a really <laughs> stupid analogy of how that works, but it that's what it feels like. It's like if I if 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 you if you do a if you teach yourself to just do everything you can in an hour, you'll make you'll make those the most productive hour long sessions possible. It's really about it's like it's like a deadline. You're setting a deadline for yourself. I'm gonna stop writing in an hour. Let's get as much done as possible in this hour. And it's weird how you literally will train yourself how to get everything done in that hour. Um, but uh, and you might not get everything done that you would get done in a three-hour session. But then the but the quality is there. There's there's a there's a much better quality to it. Um, Yes, yeah, so, and I mentioned trying setting a timer for for an hour for more more clever, uh, sharper writing. I'll set an hour for an hour, no interruptions. Editing, I'll do. Um, I've started doing. Uh, I'll I'll do my film editing. Oh, hold on, excuse me. 
excuse me, sorry, burp. Um, <laughs> I'll start doing my film editing after my writing session. After our hour-long writing session, I'll do editing of, of any projects I have to do, a wedding or a sketch or a film or anything. I'll And I'll spend one, three, five hours, more than that sometimes, editing. Uh, and then until I burn out, there's no time. I don't set a timer for editing. Um, but if I've done an hour long writing session, then I switch gears to editing. Uh, it seems to work for me for whatever reason. And then I can still do like an hour long writing session later and then do uh, a bunch more hours of editing again, like I did before on that project or a different project. Um, when it comes to like eliminate distractions, when it comes to deep work deep work is you're you're going into a space like a, a a creative space without interaction interruptions you turn off notifications on your phone i often have airplane mode on and people wonder why i'm not getting my messages <laughs> uh sometimes um i've had issues where messages messages don't messages messages don't show up because of that um and so yeah uh yeah i don't um I mean, it's, it's one of those things I just, I can't really sacrifice. Like I, I just, or I just like creating as minimal distractions as possible when I go to write, because even if like a, like a message, like if I see the notification, like I have one message, a message, you know, I don't want to see that. Like it's, it's, it's going to make me, cause I have ADHD. I'm going to, I'm going to think, oh shit, I gotta, I wonder what that message is. And I'm just gonna be thinking about it, you know, let more than I would, if I'm just thinking, did I get a message? If I know I got a message, I'm going to be um, thinking about it more. And it's really just about minimizing distractions as much as possible. Um, turning do not disturb on notifications off so that they don't even show up on your screen until and then you can check later. I've trained myself at this point to check messages every so often. And I, I feel happier, too. Honestly, like a lot of this is things that just make me feel the most happy too. not having to check messages, not 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 being like constantly on edge, like uh, waiting for a notification to pop up on your phone. It's such a happier way of living, honestly. Um, so write films you can produce non-location dependent that revolves completely around dialogue and the actions of normal everyday characters you can easily cast. If you feel you need to, ex you, need, you need exact specific locations, cars, props, or actors in order to tell the story, that's fine. But don't complain to anyone. That's your responsibility to get that thing in order for your film to get made. And it's not, get, and if it's not getting made, uh, that's on you for choosing to limit yourself to that thing, um, to that thing you need to acquire. Um, I have a World War II film I want to make, and I realize every step of the way these. These are so many things that are going to be hard to find uh, locations, props, costumes, um, you know, finding people who can help me get dial like, or at least accents right. If I decided to write it completely in English, if I wanted to write it in another language, I'd have to either learn the language or have somebody, you know, teach me how to do it and work with them. Um, so there's so many things you got to learn how to do. Um or, or, you know, figure out how to figure. There's so many logistics you have to figure out and it's on you. It's on, it's not on anybody else. It's on you. Take that as your responsibility. Own it. 
get feedback early and and also also when I wrote Feeding the Fire, the goal was to write a non-location dependent script. What I, what I mean by that is the idea was I, I, I had the idea of how to, you know, craft scenes. I knew how to craft dialogue. I knew how to write it and I knew how to rewrite it. I knew how to, you know, and I, but I, I just I just needed to figure out how do I come up with a story that I can easily produce and I thought, what if I just come up with a, a film that's like, you know, it could be done in any location, you know, but because really what matters is the dialogue. Now, it didn't end up being that, but the simple act of telling myself that was my goal, that was my limitation, that made it more so, um, e it made it more easy to produce because it made it easier to produce because you know, I was thinking in that in that regard, I was like, okay, like, let's think of these locations, what locations are easy, to, you know, so yeah, you're focused on making it easier. And you, you generally do when you when you try to tell yourself non location dependent, focus on the dialogue and the actions of, of, of characters that are pretty relatable, and pretty, you know, common. Uh, sorry, I'm gonna drink water. Also, I like to write characters based on actors i know and often you can recast them if if they can't do the project um and it just it, it gets you the ball rolling now i did mention earlier you know don't start with who you know and what you have at your disposal but you know you there is you have to find a line between that and i i i'm not a big fan of starting there uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of starting from the idea and then, and, but, you know, making sure that the idea you come up with, not only is it a good one, but it's something that's, you're able to produce within your own means. So there's a difference between starting with, with what you have at your disposal for coming up with an idea, then it, 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 there's a difference between that and starting from the idea that is within your means, within the idea, the, the things you have at your disposal. I think that 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 is better than than coming up with something based on what you have. It's it's weird, but it's you have to start with the idea. Start with the idea, and, and you know you know you you can keep in mind what you have at your disposal. That's important, but you don't want to start with what can I do with this coffee mug? Fuck that. Who gives a shit? What can I do that? You know, I, I, you know, knowing what I have, and, and I know what I have at my disposal, what, what's easy to find, especially if you make more films, like I mentioned before, making more pots, you know, you make more films, you generally get an idea for what is easy to find location wise, the prop wise or actor wise. And you, you, you generally, you learn from that and, and you get better at coming up with things that are easier to produce. Um, but yeah. So get feedback early and often and feedback on your feedback. It's important to get feedback. Um, because you know, like I said earlier, you don't want to spend months or years working on a shitty project to find out it's shitty. Just get the fucking feedback early on. Just have somebody tell you, have people kill your babies early on. Tell, tell, tell your pitch your idea to somebody. Hey, this is a film I'm, I want to do. Oh, great. It, oh, oh, it, it sucks. Great. I'm glad I know now, you know, or maybe they don't get it. Pitch it to a few people. Um, if somebody gives you feedback. Um, and you know, if you, if you have a few people who like the idea, get feedback from them on it. 
and then compare that feedback with the other like say go to that other person say this is what this other person said what do you think of that and then do the same thing with the one person telling you another idea you go to the other person that gave you you know feedback what do you think about this person's thought on it and um do that for when you're doing an outline or when you're writing a script or anything every step down the process figuring out what one person thinks of your ideas is important but then figuring out what two people think of your ideas is important and then what they think of each other's ideas because you know i i once you know i had a friend who i had pitched an outline to and they gave me one piece of feedback you know what if we had this line in here and i thought they didn't really have much ideas on what i was doing and then I pitched to somebody else. They had all these ideas about how to change the whole thing. And then I changed the, I was planning to change a bunch of stuff. And I pitched it to the first person. And they're like, well, hold on. You, you, you had everything right. It was working. What are you doing? Don't do that, you know? And so I realized at that point, they didn't have no ideas. They had a lot of ideas, but they understood, they got what you were doing. They understood it. They respected it. They liked it what you were doing was they're the audience that you, you're there, your target audience, that person who has a lot of ideas about what you shouldn't be doing. When somebody tells you to do something else, you know, you know, when they see something that you've done, and they like it, and they have one piece of feedback, it doesn't mean that they just they don't have many ideas. It means that they it might mean that they have a lot of ideas. But they're on your wavelength. And so you have to find those people. But also at the end of the day, like, you know, get feedback, but if you don't think anybody's right about it, which usually isn't the case for me, but if I think that somebody, if I think that I'm totally right about this thing, as long as I'm willing to accept responsibility for it going bad because I didn't listen to anybody, I'm usually generally willing to go that route to go all in on my own, my own instincts. Um, for instance, the title of this film I'm working on, my first feature film, I want to change it to, I wanted to change it for years, but I didn't know what to change it to. And somebody was telling me like, you know, you should change it because it sounds really weird. Um, and then I did, I had, I had this idea one day and I was like, I love it, but nobody's going to understand it immediately. I get it. It works exactly the way I want it to. But some people are not going to get it immediately. I'll have to explain it to them. And that's what I that's what I love about it. I don't want it to be something that people think that they understand because they're not going to. They're going to make a false presumption about what the film is um, based on the original title. And this new title is something that is mysterious what I've, it's not it's not even there's not even a website for it i'm going to try to create the domain before i do it i don't want to pitch it here but like what what it is uh, but uh, you know it's basically it, it, it's something that you've i've never seen before it's a word i've never seen before and i've made up and and uh we're not entirely made up it's i mean it's made up, it's 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 several words together but it's the name of a place that the world of the world that this film is set in and and it's and it's it's reflective of what that world of the film is based on and so and that world of the film 
is what the characters are against. It's what the characters are fighting against. Ultimately, by the end of the film, you realize that. And then when people see the film who who get it as well as I do as the writer, they're going to be like, oh, wow. OK, so that's why it's called that. And and I, you know, maybe not everybody will understand that after they see the film and and and, you know, going into it. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. But those people who I explain this to fully, once they understood, it, they're like, oh, yeah, I get it. OK, good. And if I had if I had gone the route of, oh, people didn't when people had heard it initially, they didn't like it. And some people didn't. And if I just changed it because they didn't like it, I would have been robbing myself of a really good title, I think, that worked better than anything else. And so um, you have to trust your gut. Uh, okay, so feedback on your feedback early and feedback early and often um, to make sure you stay on track. Um, and yeah, feedback is important because you know, like like I said, you know, writing you don't you, you it's easy to write for me. It's easy to to write myself into a tunnel and and think I'm writing something good when I'm not. Um, but start with finishing lots of smaller projects. Well, that's how you learn how to combine the clouds and the dirt of writing and directing great films. You need to know what the films you're, you write and shoot are like before you can know what kind of ideas about film, story, characters actually work. Um, let's get into the clouds and the dirt analogy. Uh, and I credit this to Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, he used this for business and I'm, I'm taking it for filmmaking. <laughs> Um, basically the clouds and the dirt analogy goes like this when it comes to business, it's, you want to know, you want to spend so much time in the clouds, but most of the time should be spent in the dirt. And the clouds is the, the top level, the high, the bird's eye view of everything of your business, thinking about ideas, coming up with big grand ideas, and then spending more of that time in the dirt, getting dirty, doing the work of building that business. Um, when it comes to filmmaking, the clouds are all the great Kubrick-esque ideas we have about what would be a great story, scene, moment, performance, shot, lighting, twist, anything. Dirt is where you get into the dirt and actually make it happen and see what the results do to the audience. You have to spend time doing both and find the right balance. If you spend all your time doing the dirt, your scripts and films aren't inspired or interesting, but at least you're finishing things. If you spend all your time in the clouds, you have a million great ideas, but they're worthless and you can't learn from them until you bring them to life. You bring them to life by switching back to the dirt process and switching back and forth. The clouds or ideas are just guesses and until you've done the work and seen how your results affect the audience, you don't know what you're talking about. Same for people who give you feedback. If they don't have the results for their grand ideas, results that are close to what to where you want to be, then take what they say with a grain of salt. Their work is a track. People's work is a track record for whether they know their shit. Same goes for me. If you're listening to this podcast, if I'm not doing things that you like, things that that are where you want to go with your work, in any capacity, 
then take what I say with a grain of salt. Um, the best learning happens when you successfully have great clouds ideas and see the results of executing them well in the dirt process. You're connecting your inspiration with reality. And gradually the ideas you have get better as you you're, you experience better execution of them, which is why I recommend doing smaller projects where the feedback loops are more immediate. Also getting feedback on your ideas or work along the way helps give you more immediate feedback loops. Also, if you feel like your idea isn't good enough, but you don't have anything better, do the shitty idea now. And, and your ideas will get better if you finish your shitty idea well. The learn and learning things along the way, uh, and, and idea and learning things along the way. Uh, filmmaking is hard and is a result of making films, and you, you come across people and experiences and that elevate your ideas. You experience hardship of making it, and and that forces you to be like, oh, I need to come up with better ideas than this, to, than to spend waste all my time on something that's so shitty. It drives you. It drives you to better ideas. By the way, your shitty idea might not be as shitty as you think. It might just be you um, and get feedback on it. You know, you never know. And somebody might pitch you some feedback that helps you improve it. And there could be people out there that like it. Um, yeah, I added that middle thing. So, so that doesn't really that doesn't flow right. Um, but yeah, like there could the, 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 there could be people out there that like and you'll find that out through feedback. OK, that flows better. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, Like I said, I'm improvising this a lot as I'm reading things. Um those are the people who need your art, those people who like your ideas. Um, and they might be hard to find, um, but look for them. Also, in regards to short projects, some things you need to do as features or long form projects in order to see how they affect the audience. Things that you can't test in short a short form project. And that's where I'm at, I think. Um, but I, I do respect the need to do smaller projects to learn faster, which I still do. Also, one of the hardest things about the clouds process isn't coming up with great ideas. It's coming up with great ideas that are interconnected to each other or connected to each other. Kubrick had a million great ideas, but the ones that made it in his films were all connected by structures, whether they're obvious or not. We'll talk about structure next. Um, but before we talk about structure, like that's let me think if I can elaborate on anything I just said, because um, I feel like that was pretty straightforward. Um, it's really just you, you're 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 figuring out, and I might I don't know if know if I have anything to elaborate on that. When it comes to um, clouds and dirt, you know you're, you're just this is it's it comes it's it's an explanation of why I think it's important to do a lot of projects, a lot of small projects. There's there's loops. Um, there, there's 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 so many interconnected components of making a film that you don't realize until you do it. And and there's so many opportunities for improvement by going the full length of the process. You learn you 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 when you learn how to improve how you cut something. You learn how to, you then learn how to how how and where to put a cut in the script and with more confidence you know weird things like uh you know learning but by, by acting in film my own films i realized my my dialogue kind of sucks it doesn't flow well so when i went and go went back to writing for the next film i was like thinking about like how it flowed and i was coming from 
having my first experience acting, realizing no, none of this, none of that, like none of the way I wrote before flows. This flows. This is how I'm gonna write. And then I wrote Rusty Spade after doing Feeding the Fire and, and Rusty Spade. I feel like the dialogue kind of flows better and and it continues to my 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 dialogue continues to flow better. Um, at least for the serious writing projects, I think my feature film I'm working on right now, I feel like it flows better. Um, but we'll get more into that in a bit. We'll go into structure. Um, the biggest clouds question: What makes a great film or script? I ask people this a lot um, on my podcast, um, and it's there's a reason. It's it's you know, it's 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 the question. It's what leads to interesting films, and let me go into it. What gets someone's attention slash interest and what keeps them watching to the end and leaves them feeling moved, happy, they watched, fulfilled in some way, and wanting more? And if you're ambitious, what stirs or nourishes people's souls? There's an instinctual answer to this and an analytical one. Uh, in the end, great ideas are a combination of the two. We'll start with the instinctual, then break it down analytically. Instinctual. What, what ideas are unforgettable? Uh, there are times to write ideas down and times to that where you shouldn't. Um, if you don't write an idea down and it keeps coming back to you, or you also pitch it to someone and it won't leave either of you, you might have a film to be made there. Uh, the analytical structure. What makes a great film for me is structure. And structure is not, you know, it's not obvious what I mean by that unless I go into it. Um I'm not talking about formula, but in some cases, uh, what I talk about might seem like that. Uh, I don't think it is in the end when I when you when it's done right. Structures or certain screenplay. Oh, wait, so structure. Sorry, I was skipping ahead. Um, st structure, drama, intentions, obstacle, tactics, uh, low point, confession. Uh, basically, uh, drama, as I've heard Aaron Sorkin summarize it, is. It's about intentions and obstacle, relatable intentions and a formidable obstacle. And then what is the character's tactics that they use to overcome that obstacle? Uh, low point or confession, as I heard David Mamet put it, um, there's a confession scene in most great films or all great films, um, as he put it. Um, but I think he put it that way. And basically it's that scene in a movie where the characters reached his lowest point and they're they're confessing to somebody about all the things that they've done wrong and they feel like crap. Um, and they feel like they're hitting a brick wall and they don't know where to go. Meaning they're almost destroyed by that obstacle. And if they're reaching a low point, it inherently means that they wanted something that they needed something and they didn't get it or they fucked up. Um, also relatable or relevant characters and situations are important. Uh, character arcs, I guess, uh, uh, or character change or whatever, or no change, uh, but identifying what what is the thing you're, what is the, the moral conundrum in the character? Um, also, rock bottom or confession scene of movies has an inherent, yeah, I think I said that. Okay, so and it, it, it means the character strive for a goal against incredible opposition or failed and, or, 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 and failed or came close to failing. Also, you want that obstacle, I think, in most cases, to destroy, nearly destroy the character. 
that I feel like that makes for a much more and a lot of people would agree with this. It makes for a much more exciting film, you know, because you you're rooting for them like you're like you've been rooting for them. And then they you know, if it, it feels like you're being you're robbing the audience or it feels to me that I'm being robbed if the character doesn't reach a really low point, because that's that's what life is about. It's about reaching really low points. You know, that happens a lot to people, you know, you, you, you get knocked down by life and you don't want to see it, but you know, you need to see it in movies. You need it. You might not want to admit it, but you do. I, that's, I think that's true of me. I think some people will disagree. I think they're pansies. I don't know. I mean, if, if there's a right way of not using it, it's, you know, it's doing something which I'm going to get into. It's it's creating your own structures. Um, and I'll get into that in a second. Um, see, those are structures that I usually find satisfying in films. Um, but Kubrick and other great filmmakers probably created or invented their own structures for their films that we're probably we're probably not aware of. Just because you don't see the structure doesn't mean it's not there. Um, structure, you know, you know, structures are just, you know, they're, they're limitations and I'll get into limitations in a bit, but it's, you know, it's, it's deciding, okay, this needs to be a certain thing. That's a structure. This, this needs to fit a certain box and, and what decides what that box is, you decide. You have to decide what what you're trying to fit your ideas into to come up with them. And then what those what what is that thing that that you know structures the ideas? It, that needs to be structured by something. And then that that thing that structures that needs to be structured into so, from something. And that's the that is the biggest challenge of making a film that's memorable, I think. Because you 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 have to figure out how does it, how does everything fit together? Um, and it's, it's just a mind fucking boggling process. Uh, and I'm going to get into like some things that I've started using, um, lately that's helped a lot. Um, structures or certain screenplay story guides, like, like I used to use save the cat. I use that for feeding the fire. Um, I think it's like, it's, and it's simple because it's 12 beats that he puts as he puts it. Um, that if you hit them and you can you can be pretty loose about it and do your own version of it and that's what i did um and feeding the fire for some reason didn't feel too um like it felt like it had everything it needed to some people and and it but it didn't feel cliche um because i worked really hard to do it in a way that was unique um now i use uh jill chamberlain's uh the nutshell technique method excuse me that you can find in her book, the nutshell technique. And it's basically in a nutshell, this is what a story has. And it's basically seven bullet points about thing. I think it's seven check marks or it's eight. I think it's seven check marks of things that you need or a story needs in order for it to have a really satisfying effect on the audience. And really it doesn't, you, you can use either the systems or any other system, but what matters is that, I, th I think what matters is that it's a simple process, and if it's simple, you're you're more open to it's more, usually more effective because it's is simpler. Just is usually more effective for some reason. 
And if it's a simple effect, an effective process, and it, it, that's not the only reason it's effective, um, but if it's simple and effective, you're able to um, you're you're able to kind of go through the the process of it a bunch of times. You're able to you're able to master it much faster, much like doing a short film helps you master filmmaking. Having seven items that you need for a good story to 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 create a good story that limits you that limits infinite pot the infinite possibilities of it to just that thing and then you focus all your energy on that on those seven bullet points and before you know it you have a good story that that moves people if it's a good system if it's not a good system it's not going to lead to anything good but I find Jill Chamberlain's nutshell technique method or book or method works because uh, I read a screenplay by a, from a friend who, you know, I didn't realize was a writer. And I was like, dude, have you been writing for like a, over a decade? Please tell me you have because I have and I, 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 I'm jealous of how good this is. And it's, it's gone on to win awards, uh, his animated script. Um and he's like, no, I've been writing for less than two years. And I was like, oh. and then he said, and I asked him, how long have you been writing this? Two years? And he's like, no, I wrote it for one month. And I was like, what did you do? Like, did you do a deal with the devil? I didn't say that to him, but it's like, I was like, what did you do? Like, how did you write this? And he mentioned the book and I was like, all right, I'm ordering that and I'm going to read it. And I read it like I got it. And then the next day, Prime read it in two days. And honestly, I didn't even re need to read the whole thing. The, there's one page with the list on it of things you need. But I mean, I think it's better to read the whole thing just so you can fully understand what she's saying. But honestly, all you need is that, that checklist. And uh, I, I may or may not mention it now, but um, I, I hadn't, actually, I just, I'm going to urge people to go read the book. Um, I'll probably I'll probably mention a bit of it. I might mention the whole thing. I don't know. We'll find out. But uh, it's it's a it's simple systems that work, and I know that that one worked because I love the script my friend came up with. I was I was like, there's no way he's gonna stick the landing, and he did. He he just stuck the landing, and then by that I mean, I inherently was reading it like this isn't gonna go, like like he like an unexperienced writer is going to fuck this up here. No. He didn't fuck it up there. Okay, let's see. He didn't fuck it up there either. He didn't fuck it up. And he didn't fuck it up at all. Uh, for me, at least. And I, I'm like, oh, fuck, I need a new, <laughs> do I need to take up a new like, career path? Like, <laughs> but I read the book and ever since I did, I've just been coming up with a shit ton more ideas. And, and I've started figuring out how to work on my more ambitious projects. And not only that, um, now I'm mastering. I'm. I feel like I've nearly. Like I've just come so. I've. I've had achieved such a level of mastery of using that one system. It's so simple. Like you can just repeat it. Seven steps. You know. I'll. I'll go into it real quick. It's. I might have to cut this out for copyright reasons. I'm not sure, but I might keep it in. Um. Sorry, Jill. Guys, go read her book. Go buy her book. Um. So I don't lose. Um. So I don't have to take this down. Um. <laughs> basically. Uh, you want to start with the catch, you know, this, uh, 
you know, the, the, what is the catch? It's basically, or the point of no return. And the point of no return is the character gets something they want and it's something they don't want. And the thing that they don't know, they don't want is the catch. And that is the break from act one into act two. You start there. That's the most important thing because that's the hardest thing to come up with. The catch is the hardest thing because that's your dramatic like situation. That's your drama. That's, that's where all the drama comes from. That's your, your formidable op opposition as Aaron Sorkin puts it. And so you identify what that thing is and, and it comes right after or, or better right as they get something they don't want at the same time, ideally. And, and honestly, what they want is it's, you'll then go set that up in, in beginning of act one, what they don't want that leads to that point of no return that, where they get something that they want, but they also it's something that they don't want, which is the catch. And the thing that they want, it can, it doesn't have to be the ultimate thing that they want or the biggest thing that they want. It can be anything that they want. It can be something that they say offhand, um, that, you know, is you know goes unnoticed you know for instance um the groundhog's day uh you know film there's a really offhand line i i hope i i you know i won't i i don't want to spend more than 24 hours in in that where a Puxa, was it was it puxa county or, or what 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 is it whatever the town name was i forget i'm sorry if you, i'm sorry if you're from there but uh basically he says i don't want to spend more than 24 hours there and the joke is he he doesn't spend more than 24 hours there because he keeps going into that 24 hour loop over and over again. And, and it's that ridiculous situation that becomes the catch. He doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to keep reliving that day. That's the catch. He, he gets what he wants. He's not going to spend more than 24 hours there, but the catch is he doesn't want to, you know, he, he doesn't want to be like, he doesn't want to stay there, but he's now he's got to stay there reliving the same day over and over again and he's trapped and that become that catch becomes this is the next thing it becomes the perfect test of his flaw and i forget what this flaw is i think he's like just like just kind of full of himself and shit and and the then the flaw is the opposite of the strength and the strength is he's you know i think he's putting others first and he's not thinking of himself so much and the reason the catch is a perfect test is he gets to make all the mistakes and the only way out of it, he doesn't know this, but the only way out of it is to do things right for once, to be good and nice to people and try to make it the best day he can possibly make it. And he reaches, he does, he comes to that conclusion when he, after he reaches his, his crisis, so it's either if it's a if it's a if it's a, a tra if it's a comedy, the character reaches crisis, their low point. If it's a tragedy, they reach their triumph, and they then they go down in moral character. But if it's a comedy, they reach their or Aristotelian comedy, they reach their crisis, and then they move up in in moral character. So he gets to the point where I, I forget what happens, but he's had it like he's just done everything wrong he could possibly do, and he can't think of anything worse. He can't make his day any worse. Like what is he? Wouldn't he like kidnapped the, <laughs> the the groundhog and shit, and then ran over a cliff or something? He just did all sorts of stuff, and it's just, and it, he got tired of it, and he it broke him, and then he started moving up in moral character, 
and just being like, oh, let's just do fucking nice shit. I, I, it's been a while since I've seen the movie, but I think that was how it went. And that leads to, you know, him doing good. And so that's how the, I think that's, so so the, the climactic action is, or climactic, or I think it's climactic action. He's moving up in moral character. Yeah, so he's basically, he's moving up because of, of that struggle, that, 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 that catch that created that crisis. And so you're seeing how there, these variables, you have the point of no return. And that includes the, the setup one, which you're going to set up in the beginning. And you also set up the flaw in the beginning. Um, but you don't start with coming up with those. See, if you start writing a script, you know, you don't, you're not going to, you start writing a script, you're going to get in you're not starting on the thing that matters most and which is the most, the, the most difficult problem to solve. So you're going to get in the quicksand. Um, so, and, and so, yeah, so that oh, is it seven items or eight items. I forget, but it's basically, yeah. So you have the catch you start with, and then, then you come up with the, the thing that they, they want that they get at the same time as that. And then the catch is also the te perfect test of their flaw and you figure out what flaw the flaw can be anything it can be any flaw that they have it doesn't it does, like just like the one their setup one it doesn't have to be the biggest thing the biggest thing is the catch that has to be the biggest thing because that's where your dramatic that's the dramatic potential of the film um so yeah i and 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 so you when you go through the process of coming up with a story from scratch using that system and I, I recommend doing it for a project from scratch. What you then learn is how all those parts work together when you when you do that story. And then you do it again and you do it again and you do it again. And then you you come up with a mastery. When you're master it's better to master something with fewer variables and 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 do it a bunch and then see how those variables work together. And and so that's what I've been doing this last year. And I think it's helped me come up with some projects that I, I, I'm excited to be doing eventually and getting produced. But I've done some projects with it and it, it seems to work. Um, uh, the reason I recommend simple structure methods for coming up with stories is because meta learning, which is, and I'm going to re reiterate what I learned, what I was talking about just now, which I learned from Tim Ferriss. It's learning about, meta learning is learning about learning. Um, so and learning about learning so that you can be more effective and efficient at it basically we learn best by practicing with as few of the right variables as possible and in the right sequence important wording here uh, stories have the capacity of infinite complexity and if you can break their creation down to a few variables as, as few variables as possible you can focus on them and then master them much quicker jill chamberlain's uh, nutshell technique method is a checklist of like seven or eight items and and that's that's seven or eight variables that you, I forget, I think it's, I forget which that's that you, those are just seven or eight variables that you can focus on. And, and she gives them to you in the order that's best to focus on them and, and, and leading to a more effective screenplay or story. And I, I was able to learn them pretty quickly by using them to come up with new stories during like power naps. Like I said, power naps, like I'll come up with these story ideas during power naps. And then and then my output for coming up with stories and outlining them has increased dramatically this year. I can't go into detail about, I guess I did go into detail about the method uh, unless I cut this, unless I cut it for copyright reasons. Um, for But uh, basically uh, it comes up with 
a character's story or emotional arc or journey and and it and it, all the the minimal elements you need to do that effectively that's really what it is and it and it it doesn't once you do it the way that works for you i don't feel like it feels formulaic or cliche really um honestly it fits a lot of movies that are done like the godfather it works for that it works for a lot of movies um and there's some movies that it doesn't work for um i've learned that for sketches when i do my sketches uh it's better to follow the system to a point honestly it's better to start without even doing a first act just go right into the character get something that they want but they don't want just go into it don't even set up the the flaw or the one at all just don't worry about it the, the audience can figure it out later and then the last thing is we 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 hint at that they're going up in moral character just kidding we, they reach a low point the lowest point oh, also the crisis is the lowest point they could possibly go or the triumph is the highest point they could possibly go or the, or the big greatest manifest manifestation of the things they the setup one um and basically, but we, we, we give the, the audience the idea that they're going to go up in moral character and then they don't. Um, and that's funny. That's funny to me. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, let me, um, sorry, I'm losing my spot here. It's, it's pretty effective at it, the system. Also, the more you use it, the more subtle your use of it becomes and the better you get at it. And you also learn when not to use it. Someone who knows about it or read one of my stories and used and and I, I used it on and didn't excuse me and didn't necessarily see how I did how I did but they liked the story like um they got my friend Kevin McCauley who was in the cop sketch I did that I used that for coming up with that sketch I don't know if he even noticed that it was used for that I've, I, I've never asked him really but I, I I have a feeling he might like I have a feeling it, it would be hard to point it out but it's technically there. Um, it's not the best version of it, but it worked. It worked really well. I th honestly, I think that's one of my best sketches. Um, also, my next sketch is not just applying her method once to a story, but applying it to each character in the story or sketch. That way, each character in my films or, or most of the characters have a story to them, making them a film in, a, in, a, in and of themselves and making the film multidimensional and allows the audience to emotionally invest in each character. Um, but I don't feel her approach is super cookie cutter. It doesn't work for all movies, which she admits, but it does. It is pretty effective at making sure you cover your bases at coming up with a moving story. Um, let me see how much more we got for this this part. All right, we're getting there. Um, so, and and what I mean by using it for multi-dimensional stories, um, I want to have, you know, I, I want to basically come up with. Uh, a film that that has a lot of characters who have that system that have that arc or that that emotional journey where and then you get to see how each of those characters either go up in moral character or go down and we we see and we don't know you know you don't know going in you know whether the, whether this character is going to be on top or bottom or and it's it's just it becomes lifelike at that point and i want people to observe my films like life if i can that'd be cool um i i think that would be valuable um and 
Okay, does that say two hours? Sorry, I'm just... Oh, yeah, it's been two hours of recording. Sorry. Um, but yeah, so I want to... Um, let me just check my microphone. Yeah, it's still recording. All right. Sorry, I, I don't have anybody to check this for me. Um, but yeah, yeah, so I want... And I want all those different storylines of these different characters to be interconnected or interwoven. And I find that the way to weave them together is if they're all woven together by the catch. This character is the catch of this character. Or this character's catch is a relation to this other character's catch. Maybe they're on the same side or maybe they're not. And it, it can the catch can be something that's very abstract it can be this thing is happening and but the that catch that they're both involved in that creates all the drama in their storyline puts them either on the same team or against each other but by the end of the film they might be on the same side or they might not one might kill the other <laughs> like it, it you know and i think that's super interesting the and it's hard to come up with those stories without some system that tells you this has to be this. Now you choose what that system is and, I, and I'll get into why that's important and it's called limitations as, as you know, as, as, as a tool. Um, and I'll get into that probably by the end of this episode. I forget if, if, if not, I'll, it's probably going to be later on another um, part. But um, learn structure by either looking up a bunch of different screenplay structures that are out there. Mention, I mentioned a few. Um, and also uh, there's like, what is it? Um, uh, there's a, uh, just look them up. There, there's a bunch. Um, <laughs> was, there's a, there's a, what was it? Um, Joseph Campbell's uh, work on mythology, which is based on like mythology that's based on, mythology is based on life. And it's, and it's, a, a you know, it's, it's basically like human, uh, you know, ancient humanity, humanity's best for thousands of years of human humans trying to make the most sense of their world. That's what mythology is. And it's, and it's condensing many thousands of stories into one or into like, into single stories, you know, mythology comes about because thousands of tribes lived through something and conversed about it and then they those that thousand thousands of tribes came up with um a hero character that reflected all those stories you know things were cut out things were added in it's basically writing but co-writing among an entire race of human beings uh, entire society uh, tribes different people from different walks of life coming together comparing notes and that's what that's what mythology is in a way um and that's how they they come about they they come about because people tell the stories and then when they go tell the stories they maybe or maybe don't realize they're they're rewriting it or reworking it and then somebody else reworks it when they tell it to somebody else after hearing it from that person. And that's how it works. Like it just, these, these stories mutate, but they mutate with meaning. Oh, that's cool. Mutate with meaning. <laughs> I, don't know. I, I didn't write that down. Uh, I hope I remember that. Um, but yeah, um, 
Yeah, they mutate with meaning. And that's what writing is. That's what and that's what mythology is. And so, you know, it's worth studying mythology from like Joseph Campbell because that's how Star Wars came about. That's one of the big things about why Star Wars is so influential. George Lucas like studied Joseph Campbell's work and also talked with him and 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 you know swears by his book a thousand a hero with a thousand faces and i think it's a thousand faces yeah and it's just it's if you want you want to if you want to tell stories about life that that feel about life that you know feel like they're about life and they're about something deeper than that than the normal mundane everyday thing read about those things you know do your research on that stuff and and that's that becomes the 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 groundwork or the the soil that your ideas can spring forth from in some cases or, or how you you know find structure in things is by studying s structures that seem to work or 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 things that work um watching a lot of great films i watch a lot of great films on criterion channel and that changed my filmmaking completely um learn structure by either looking up a bunch of different screenplays i mentioned i mentioned a few uh what was it seinfeld i don't i don't know what it was uh not seinfeld side field i have no idea what his name is i haven't read his book though so i don't know if i should recommend that um and then putting them side by side to, yeah take a bunch of different screenplay screenplay formats or screenplay structures Put them side by side. Line them up where you think they line up. And all that matters is that it makes sense to you. And you'll be able to spot things, similarities among them all. Or watch a bunch of movies and try to figure out what the plot points are. And then put them next to each other. Do whatever you got. Or just do it all in your head. You know, watch a movie and, and think. And watch a bunch of movies and 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 try to look for what, what how is it structured. And, and you might be right. You might be wrong. But as long as you, as long as it it feels true to you that's what matters and that's why great filmmakers i think make great movies because they make their own structure all right i'm talking about structures that somebody else brought up and uh they're structures that i like because they work i've seen them work i've seen them work in action and so i might try using it but I'm going to use it in my own way where I use it for each character, not just one character throughout the entire film, that nutshell technique. I'll probably, or whatever character screen or story writing process, you know, I, I, I use in the future, I'll use it for all the characters so that, and that's where the art comes in is how are they connected? That's, that's the, the real bread and butter for me as an artist where I get to do something that's completely unique. I get to say, okay, this, this is how these characters storylines that seem different in a way are connected and and they're connected by a theme um that's that's the art that i get to choose for my own thing um but you know then i'm telling you this so that you, you can probably incorporate it if you want to uh but yeah just watch but great filmmakers watch a lot of great movies they watch they read a lot of great books uh, a lot of times they just hear about different structures they watch a lot and they see a lot and read a lot and and they create their own and so and that's probably something i need to do more is create my own structure and i have done that just in many cases um but 
Yeah. Uh, but I, I've been really interested in things that, that allow me to do things or increase my output um, if I can without compromising it, the, the quality of it, making it better, hopefully. Um, so let's see. Uh, also, there's, I, I recommend trying this. Um, I think Aaron Sorkin recommended this. Retyping screenplay side by side, um, word for word. You know, you take a screenplay of a movie you love and, you know, there's one, it's one thing to watch a movie, but when you take a script and then you open up like, like a screenplay writing format th or like, like, like a software thing and you just re you, you type it out everything word for word. You're not re you're not changing anything. You're typing it as it is on the script, but you're typing it for yourself in the screen script writing, you know, thing. And when you do that, it's like you're through osmosis, you're absorbing the the writing style or structuring style of the writer of that screenplay, like writer you love. And sometimes by osmosis, you can basically almost like adopt their way of writing. I've done this for I did this for Casablanca and it completely changed the the way I wrote my World War II film. Um and it was a completely different process compared to had I just watched the movie again. Because I did watch the movie again. It didn't like, like when I watch a movie, it doesn't change things as things in a as visceral way as just you know doing that right re retyping process. So I highly recommend that. Um Dark Side of the Moon. Um base that that's one of my favorite out. That's probably that's my favorite album of, by Pink Floyd, I know. Probably my favorite album of all time. And my friend once said that it had no structure. Like, like, what, like, what, so he was trying to explain that movies don't need structure, which is bullshit, uh, I think. Um, and I, it's, it's, he said, I think at this point, I've kind of explained my reasons why I think that. Um, but he was saying that it doesn't have structure. That, that like 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 the Pink Floyd doesn't think about structure. Bullshit. Pink's Dark Side of the Moon is one of is my I think is their best album. Um. Also, the Wall is great. It's really fucking good. I mean, it's the Wall and Dark Side of the Moon are probably arguably their best albums. They both have structure. They're the Wall is a story about about was it the. Like I, I mean, there's a story there. There's it's just a this deep story about the I, I think the the one guy from the from Pink Floyd. I forget who was was it oh, was it Roger. I forget. Um, but Dark Side of the Moon. Every track is like it's like like the the album cover is is a is a prism and it's shooting light in and then it comes out as different colors. The tracks are like different colors. They're different. They're all structured as their own thing, and and they, then there are times in the the album where, like, they're playing sounds or or themes from all the tracks together, and it's and it's just like there's distinct sounds for each track, like, and the, and each track represents a different element, like time and and uh, and 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 uh, fuck, I'm uh, yeah, sorry, I'm I'm reaching a, a burnout point right now, but they have. They have their own element, time, money. There's all these different things that that uh, they they represent. 
and there's like themes in terms of the music that they choose like the instruments and and that structure whenever you set a rule for how something is composed or how something is put together you're creating structure structure is a limitation and limitations are things that you can choose to make something better something that you choose to work against uh, it can be it can be a rule rules can make us more creative it's when we have infinite possibilities that our brains stop creating we have nothing to guide the creative process um but yeah uh let me reiterate what so dark side of the moon explain what my friend said about that uh I, that's my bullet point to myself that it didn't have structure and how that's wrong the structures just aren't obvious and that's because the artist has to work hard to create those structures structures are hard to create structures can be an idea an emotion or a story and there can be other structures in that story it's something that connects all the parts um so so how do we create structures hard work there's a, a book there's a book the obstacle is the way it's based on marcus aurelius's quote about you know the obstacle or i forget what it exactly was but basically the obstacle is the way is like an, a summary of that quote and it's the harder it is for the idea or in the way this applies to filmmaking or, or creativity or ideas is the harder it is for an idea or solution to come to you, the more surprising, exciting it will be to the audience or the, or the better it's going to be generally for the audience or the more, the more they're going to like it. If I work really hard in an idea, generally that's, that's a good sign that it's going to be something good, you know, in most cases. And if it's something that comes out of the blue, you know, it didn't just come out of the blue, like you, something triggered an idea to come to you. And it might have been that you have just spent years working on films, excuse me. And all these things are connecting under the surface, all these ideas, all these things you've learned over the years, all these things you're doing, these experiences you're having, and then something clicks. You have this idea, it didn't just come to you out of nowhere. Or it feels like that, but really it just comes from, it comes from the universe, but it also comes from, uh, probably the universe, but it also comes from like all these experiences you had, all these things that have led to where you are now, all the hard work you've done. And that's a big component of, of ideas. And yeah, there's probably, I mean, honestly, uh, there's, I, I, I don't fully know where ideas come from. Um, I found when I started praying before my writing sessions, after I read the book, uh, you know, uh, what was it? Uh, the War of Art, not The Art of War, The War of Art. <laughs> We're not quoting Sun Tzu here. <laughs> he gets quoted for everything that he didn't. <laughs> uh, the memes of, of him being quoted for things are, are pretty funny. But um, things that have nothing to do with war. Uh, but yeah, the, the War of Art. And it, it, he talked about like, it's, it's basically a book on how to use discipline Versus, you know, the popular idea of uh, using substances to be creative. It's bullshit. Discipline creates ideas. Discipline and work. Um, and it's. I think it's a more reliable process. Uh, I mean, even even Kubrick said that he prefers he preferred meditation over, you know, pot for coming up with ideas. Uh, so i mean I, I mean if you thought he was some guy who who you know also 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 pink floyd you know people 
they were i heard i read an interview where they were like they really were not happy with the fact that i think it was pig floyd they were ha- not happy with the fact that they were they became synonymous with uh, drugs and because what they did was hard work they did hard work they didn't just do drugs and have ideas come to them all right it was about the craft and but people it, because of it just came became popular and synonymous to think of them with like pot or drugs and or, or acid or whatever and so even pink floyd and kubrick were people who i've heard were were actually like you know they they I, I'm, I'm i'm assuming they they were into meditation probably i, I i'd bet um or, you know i don't know um i don't really know about that actually but you know, i mean these are people who relied on things that or were they 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 look to reliable methods of coming up with ideas and 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 doing their work and I, that's what i i think is probably the best route um from what i know um which is why i'm here telling you this uh also and i'm sorry if i'm getting like burned out at this point i'm going to try to get through the rest of this and so that i can take a nap or something and get into part 2 uh yeah. How to create structures, hard work. The obstacles away. We already read that. Um, yeah. So Marcus Aurelius's meditations is where that quote comes from about the obstacles the way. Um, also, there's a trickle down effect with filmmaking. The harder you work at the idea to make the idea good, the harder you will work on the script. The harder you will work on the the harder you work on the script. The harder you'll work on every preceding step and 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 what a, yeah you know like every every time every time you work hard on some element that is a trickle down effect down to the rest of the elements of the of the process so where are you so earlier i mentioned if you know if you're feeling like you're lost in your process you're not sure what you're doing you know you feel like you're not as disciplined it might be that you're focusing on a step further down the process than what you should be focused on. And that means that you're not putting your absolute effort into the step you're working on right. You should be working on right now. If you work a hundred percent on this, on the, the step in the process that you should be focused on right now. And that doesn't mean you can't think about things into the future, but focus your effort, your discipline on the step, the current step in front of you. That is your best that is your best evidence that you're not only going to do that for this step, but you're going to do that for the preceding steps. And that is what gives you confidence to know if I'm willing to put all this work into this, I'm going to put this amount of work into this step next step. I'm going to do that when it, when it comes time to doing it. So work hard on what you, you know, pick your battles. This is the battle I'm on now because, and I wait, reason I say battles is because, they are battles. They're hard fights that you have to to. to there, it's a battle is a hard thing. It's not. It's not. A, it, I don't want it to sound easy at all. It is hard, and it's sometimes you lose your battles. Sometimes you you don't feel like you're winning it, and and so you know you might th- you might be stuck on trying to come up with this idea for this character's storyline or something, or you know you you just you might be struggling for a while. That's okay. That's part of the process, um, and accept it but fight on like face your battles, you know? And, uh, so yeah, there's a trickle down effect there. Um, 
and let me just check how much more okay we're getting there um before i burn out uh so you don't need to know how to write wait wait am i did i skip forward sorry also you don't need to know how to write the character on the first draft you just need to know their journey or their story um you might want to later on in revising you might want to later on in revising how they talk or wait what is it uh I, I didn't sorry i didn't word this right you might you might find later on in revising how they talk or what their motives are okay i was reading it wrong um so yeah you you don't know sometimes you don't know things and like like how the character talks until later in the process and that's fine um that's that how a character talks doesn't matter as much as what their what their story is what's their drama what's the what what are the important elements the the few important elements that you need to make solid immediately because if you know you don't make that solid then um things are just things are gonna get really difficult um like it's gonna get even more difficult uh so you don't need to know how to yeah okay i read that um but yeah, you need to know what their motives are. You need to know what their story is. Uh, acts, honestly, aside from certain story structure systems that I use, I don't really think in terms of acts except for maybe like, uh, you know, may, maybe later on and if I want to think about like a cool way to kind of create difference, like this is, this act two is the special world. Act one is, and act three is, is the normal world. Act two is the special world. I don't know. That's who cares? Uh, I mean, I, if it sounds cool, go for it. But I, honestly, it's like acts. All, all I know is that something happens, <laughs> like something apparently happens. And by the end of an act, you, you generally know, but I think in terms of the nutshell technique I use, I like that one because that system, because it does delineate what it is automatically. And, and what the act is, like the point of no return is where the character gets something they want and something that they don't want. The act ends when they get something they want and the thing that they don't want creates the, the act two and the act three the, the struggle through the rest of that. And act three comes when the character figures out a way out of their their low point. Generally, that that's what I've found. But you don't have to think in terms of acts. I think the idea of a three-act structure is bullshit, but I like... I think um, I think it's important to find a structuring technique that is simple that 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 kind of mimics the effects of what people think a three act structure is when they see it. But going writing based on acts and being like, okay, this is going to be a three act or five act thing, it's meaningless. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't lead to an interesting idea generally. Um, that's what I felt. Um, I don't really know acts or if you want to do something with acts that's up to you like I, I don't really have much on them as you can tell <laughs> uh but yeah uh the let's see i'm sorry i already said these things let me uh, also they can need to find stepping into the new world come back okay i already said that um act three returning with the boon that's uh that's more of a mythology thing um you know the the boon is like the the learned lesson i guess you could say in some cases um the boon yeah um so a scene <laughs> a scene is where something happens uh 
<laughs> that's a summary right there of a scene a scene is basically where something happens um what that is is up to you as the writer something happens you'll know uh that's that's a weird way of putting it but it's so true like for me is i will have an idea of what a scene needs to be but when i'm writing and doing rewrites and rewrites and rewrites a scene will come to me based on when I feel like something has happened, like I feel it inside. Like I might ever, I might not, I won't get there on the first draft or first few drafts, but eventually I'll write a draft and I'm like, that's it. That's how you end that scene. It might be this thing that this character says that changes the dynamic or something. Something changes. You know it. You know it when you get there. And that's the most exciting kind of scene where you didn't, it wasn't obvious. Like I said before, the obstacle is the way. When when something is difficult to come to, generally that creates a really satisfying idea and a really satisfying result. So, yeah. Um, I like writing scenes through a series of drafts and coming up with something that is uh, surprising that way. Something that surprises me as the writer. When I get to something and I'm like, whoa, I didn't see that. That's when I know that I have something. Um, so good dialogue. Uh, and a lot of this stuff is about writing, but we'll, I'll talk about it anyway. Um, I, I'm, I didn't accidentally go into the writing section, did I? Nope. No, I didn't. Good. Uh, so sorry, I'm, I'll be wrapping this part up soon. Good dialogue. Speak the lines out loud, even perform them. Um, this is something Aaron Sorkin recommends. And when I've started doing this, it teaches you the discipline of knowing how to how what sounds good for and i just i'll just read the lines out loud i don't read the actions if it's if it's a script if i'm writing a book or something i'd, I'd read everything out loud but really whatever is going to be spoken out loud in the film is what you should be reading out loud to make sure it sounds good when it's written um you don't have to really waste your time it's, it takes time to do that to write that well so you don't have to waste time on the actions and stuff you usually want, and usually if you do that it'll make it less descriptive um if the story you're telling doesn't feel truthful to you to your experiences in life then don't tell it if you don't feel like what you're telling is being honest and i think honesty is a very important thing to me in my work and and, and in life um then why then don't 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 tell it because you know what you're doing is you might think that you can get away with it but you don't if you don't tell the truth um it it muddies your soul you know you you feel it you you feel it when you feel sick to your stomach when you feel like you you don't want to look in the mirror when you feel like you don't want to look at the work you're doing with joy with feeling pride in what you're doing and you make it instead it makes you sick something's not right then on the flip side if you if you edit a film and you don't feel sick seeing the first draft as martin scorsese says seeing the first cut something's also wrong so uh yeah it it's you know trust your gut when your gut's telling you something's not right you know i don't like this listen it's telling you something and i think that's why when you see the first cut of your film and it makes you feel sick it's because something's definitely not right um the film isn't isn't good 
but it's going to be good when you make it good. But if you don't, I've actually experienced that to be true. When you edit something and you think it's amazing, the first cut, it sucks. I found that out the hard way recently. <laughs> uh, and I'll probably get into that in a bit. I'll probably in a future part of this, uh, this take 15. Um, but, um, probably take C, um, but, uh, take 15 C. Uh, yeah. So story you're telling, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I, I, what I learned from Tarkovsky about withholding your intentions as an artist or filmmaker from your audience. Um, what I've learned from Tarkovsky is, and he's my favorite, one of my favorite filmmakers, him, Nolan, Quentin Tarantino. What I love about Tarkovsky is, and this is what I've learned uh, when I first saw one of his films, I hated his films. The first 40 minutes, though, I saw I was watching The Mirror. And I, I first for the first 40 minutes, I was like, this is incredible. This is Kubrick level. And then I hated it. I was like, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And then I realized the only thing I realized later, the only reason I was thinking that was because I prided myself at the time of thinking I knew what filmmakers were trying to do and how they were trying to affect me, what they were doing to try to affect me. And I assumed because I didn't know that and I couldn't get a beat on Tarkovsky that I didn't, that, that he didn't know what he was doing, but turns out he did. He not only knew what he was trying to do, he was really good at hiding it because he, in his book, he, uh, I think sculpting in time, he mentions, um, if the audience doesn't catch you at your own game as the filmmaker if they don't know what you're trying to do or why you're trying to do it then they perceive it as real life as they view it as a documentary uh, and that's that's it's uh, interesting uh, interesting parallel to that is christopher nolan's uh cinematographer on his late, latest films like tenet um uh, interstellar uh also the, the world war ii one dunkirk he lights the scene. He lights for the scene, not for the shot, not for the face. Or, or he lights for the scene, not for the shots. Might alter some things here and there. But what generally does is when you light for the scene, it makes the viewer view it as, as if it's they're viewing real life. Like they're viewing a documentary because nothing's... Nothing seems artificial shot for shot, you know, shot per like from shot this shot to the other shot, the lighting feels authentic, believable. And the thing with uh, Tarkovsky, here's an example from the mirror. Uh, they wanted, he wanted this man, this woman sitting on the, the fence at her home off in the woods, this cabin, and she's waiting for her husband to come home from the war. And he, she knows, and she even says this, like, he's going to come down that path that she's looking down. That's where she's waiting on the fence. She's waiting for him. And he doesn't, this, this other man comes down the path. Nobody ever comes down this path. This man comes down, walking down it, and then they have a, a discussion or something kind of a, about life and things. And then he walks off. And Tarkovsky wants, the, wants the, uh, to create an impression in the audience in this moment. He, he a lot of his process was about affectation which is why I had so much trouble getting a beat on him but he wanted the character to look back at her which would have cemented that moment in the audience somehow and, and created the effect that he was after and he was very very surgical about what he wanted he knew what he wanted 
to do with uh, what how he wanted to affect the audience. And I'm I'm still trying to figure out why he wanted to do certain things, but he there's there's something about it. I mean, he wouldn't be the a regarded filmmaker like he is if 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 it was for no for no reason. And but he didn't want to just have him look back because the audience would be like, oh, that that's seems you know cliche or contrived or just you know then the audience would catch him at his game. So instead, he had the wind wash over the field and blow everything in her direction so that it would force him it would just like it would kind of force him to kind of look back at her and it creates a moment that's just very memorable and even more memorable than him just looking back and it, it punk it's like it's like a punctuation mark of the scene of the, of the whole of see, uh, like moment between them and i think they had to have a helicopter or something come in and blow the wind towards the camera on cue and that's the only thing I can think of. Um, and as the audience, you don't think of that. When you see the wind blow, you, you often don't think of, oh, they had a helicopter do that. You think of, you're, you're thinking about, oh, wow, that moment that happened was, it's, it's amazing that they captured that. That was really in, interesting. It was planned. It wasn't, it wasn't captured, just, ca it was captured, but it was, it was deliberate. It's so well done and so unexpected, but leading to a result that was planned that it feels like life, like you're viewing life. And that's, I want to learn more about how to do that because that seems really special to me. And I watch Kubrick, no, Tarkovsky films all the time now. Like I rewatch them more than most filmmakers work. And I feel like I have a different impression each time I watch them because he wants audience to come to their own conclusions about what the film is about, what, you know, the story is, what, what the characters souls are about. You know, he cares a lot about like the character's souls and that's, and, and delving into a man's soul, you know, or a woman's soul. And, and it's like that, that feels like the next level of filmmaking that many filmmakers don't do. And uh, I want to learn about how, what I can apply from that to my own work. And it's, it's something that's not obvious. It's still not obvious. I've read his book twice or I'm reading it twice the second time, but it's, and I'm still learning. Like I'm, st it's weird how you can, um, you can watch a person's movies so many times and then read their book so, so many times and still catch things that you didn't catch the first time. And uh, that seems to be the case. And hopefully I absorb those things either consciously or unconsciously from doing that. But um, there was something else I was going to add, but I forget what it was. So I'm just going to move on. Um, <laughs> it's going to be something so important. Uh, finale uh, or for part one. And this is the last thing for this part one. Um, watch me remember what I was forgetting. Um limitations are tools i mention a lot about limitations a lot of times in filmmaking limitations are imposed on us and we come up with creative solutions to them those solutions to them are a lot of times what people find so defining about our work and i encourage you to be proactive about choosing limitations before life chooses them for you but limitations are great all the same too um 
whether whether they're chosen for us or we choose them uh it's but it it can be better more beneficial if you choose them if you choose the right ones uh for you and that's up to you to find out but it's how we solve the limitations that define our work um but we have to but it's a meta process where you choose the best limitations and sometimes the way to figure out what the best limitations are or create limitations for the limitations and you could keep going with that um you can create a hierarchy of limitations that lead to at the scene level what the film is about that's what i feel like is is going to be the way i find compelling like what it's i feel like that's what's going to lead me to creating compelling work uh or more compelling work in the future uh figuring out how that hierarchy of limitations works uh i like that word or that phrasing hierarchy of limitations um also uh but yeah uh, but limitations are great and all the same it's how we solve the limitations that define our work also, I make such a big deal about limitations because they are the most effective tools I currently know of for coming up with solid ideas. If and when I find better tools than limitations, I'll be sharing that. But for now, that's the best I know. If you want to create diamonds, the rules or limitations are the, or that you the right rules or limitations are the tools that can create them. Remember, limitations equal tools. And also a uh, Jock, to go back to Jocko Willink, the Navy retired Navy SEAL commander, uh, discipline equals freedom, and I think there's an interesting parallel between those two. So uh, that's that's it for take 15A, uh, filmmaking toolbox number one, how I make films from idea to final cut, part one creativity. Uh, next will be take 15B filmmaking toolbox. Uh, on, on take 15B on writing, um, part two on writing, and. Uh, Hope this was helpful so far. Uh, I, I apologize for any rambling and and, and <laughs> any uh, inconsequential babble, but uh, yeah. All right. I'll see you next take or next next part of this take. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening or watching. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. For notes and links to things mentioned on the show, my films, the video version of the podcast, or select the clips from each episode, go to profitableproductions.com/podcast. Profitable is spelled like my name with two F's, two T's. Also, for updates on future episodes, follow me on Instagram at Tom Profit Take and at Profitable Productions. Thanks again. Catch you on the next take. <laughs>